I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Unedited. You probably know comedian Pete Holmes from his hit HBO show, Crashing, as well as his top-rated podcast. He grew up in a devout Christian family, went to a Christian college where he actually wanted to be a youth pastor, married his college sweetheart, and then when trying to pursue his comedy career, went through a very hard divorce. If you've seen Crashing, you know the premise of the show follows that narrative. It's a deeply personal project for Pete. The aftermath of the divorce actually sent him on a journey of wrestling with faith and doubt. And as you'd expect, he's come out on the other side a very, very different person. I was able to visit Pete at his home in LA as the second season of Crashing was about to premiere. We sat in his garage slash converted bonus room slash there's a big sauna in there and talked about his story, his process of deconstructing and reconstructing faith, divorce, making an autobiographical comedy series, and a lot more. Even the prosperity gospel comes up. It was a fascinating and fun two hours, and I'm excited you're going to hear the whole thing. Uh, But because the conversation is so long, we're actually splitting it into two parts. So here is part one of my conversation with comedian Pete Holmes, unedited. I feel like I'm right on schedule because I'm 38. I'm about to be 39. And I'm feeling more equanimity and peace um, than I ever have in my life. And that that sort of spiritual freedom is very interesting Mm -hmm. to me. Um, Because there is so much, I've experienced, I'll just speak for myself, so much suffering in, in regards to what derived from a very earnest desire to know God led to a lot of pain right and for very human reasons for very uh you know kind of i don't know how to put it but like churchy reasons uh, or people with good intentions kind of leading me a, a weird way and now that i'm almost 39 at the end of your readership i do feel kind of <laughs> i'm 41 so hopefully not all of them just no i know i know but the statistical yeah uh i feel that that speaks to me as i'm yeah. like because it is a it is a process, and I'm still in it. I'm sure you're still yeah, in it. Yeah, of course. There's no great conclusion. You know, I'm writing a book about it, and what's what's interesting about it? I didn't know you were writing. Oh a book yeah, about it. I'm sorry. I just said that like you knew. I, I'm writing a book about my spiritual journey. Are and you working with Rob on it? I'm not really. I mean, he's given me feedback. I've known Rob been, since his Grand Rapids really? know, Numa days. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. I was just listening to the Robcast. Rob, I keep trying to get Rob to do ads on his podcast um, because I'm like, you don't understand. Because, you know, he he has cool shoes, for example. He's a shoe guy. I'm like, just reach out to that company, get a promo code, and work something out. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a lie. And he won't do it. He don't want to like, commercialize spirituality. He, he and, just mm-hmm. do, he doesn't feel... He, he still has a pulpit mentality then. I mean, like, it's like you don't want to like commercialize the sanctuary, you know? Kinda, There's a spiritual I, trust there. Yes, I think you're right. And I think there's something noble about it. But really what's great about Rob is you don't get the sense that he's trying to do that. Right. You get the sense that he's cleaned the cobwebs enough out of his own attic that he knows what he's about. Yeah. And he sleeps better. And talk about equanimity and talk about peace. This is a guy who goes, I think that will add a little static to the radio frequency. The song will still be playing, but I'll just hear a little in the background. And so he doesn't do it. And I know this for a fact. I've been very, very, very close with Rob for many years now. Many, you know, a handful of years, but very close. And he's not doing it, so I'll tell you that in an interview. You know what I mean? Like, he's just straight up doing it because that's what he does. Because I, it's like a joke. I'm like, I tell him what what he could be making. (laughs) I'll, like, tease him what he could be spending it on. (laughs) Like, all these, not a Porsche. Like, I'm talking about, like, that's college tuition for your son like you should do this and he just and then when i put his son trace uh his podcast on today and he didn't do the ads there was something kind of like a stream you know what i mean mm-hmm. there's a, just a stream in the woods and you see it and the, the stream doesn't say brought to you by pepsi or alpha brain and i am brought to you by alpha brain but like <laughs> there's something nice about seeing rob just doing his thing yeah yeah and not well not i mean worrying about his him. his journey since since grand rapids has been him you know authentically 
following his convictions. That's what's so know? compelling about Ralph. You know, whether you agree with his conviction or not, he says, I believe this to be true and I'm going to stand in this yeah. lane. And I, if it's not for you, that's okay. And he does. You know, Alan Watts talks about that is, is believing, for example, he talks about, and by the way, I'll, I'll reference this. This is something I will endorse. There's a, it's on iTunes. It's called You're It. It's a series of talks Alan Watts gave. And he talks about um, how we have to honestly love God, meaning don't love God because he tells you to love him, but to mean it. And he also, he's so funny. He's, he's brilliant. He also talks about being honest if you don't love God. He's like, you're a bore. All you do is boss me around and you make me afraid and judge. Like, and you hear it. And if you're like me, I, I literally just got the chills just thinking about somebody with the audacity to say that. Because yeah. for a lot of us, we think of God as like a boogeyman or, or a, a, an afterlife guard, like a, a lifeguard kicking us out of the pool or whatever. So to have somebody be like, this all comes back to Rob, meaning... He doesn't believe because he ought to believe. Mm -hmm. He believes because he believes. And he's a master at figuring out, even if you don't want any of the Jesus stuff, you can read How to Be Here, for example, which is a great book, great audio book too. And just get somebody who goes, finding what you're about and living that authentically is the point. And that's a Richard Rohr quote too. It's hanging up in my house. I don't know. You probably didn't see it. We walked through so fast. But it says to humbly and proudly return what you've been given. So it's like about mining who you are, what you believe. Rob doesn't, I don't, I'm not going to speak for Rob. I'll say my opinion is I don't want atheists to stop being atheists necessarily. I won't even say necessarily. I, I don't need them. I don't need to interrupt their trip, you know. Yeah, and I, I see that. Job, yeah. It's not my job. And, and it's not even my burden. I, I don't, right. I used to. I spent a good, the majority of my life, my spiritual life, thinking it was my job to enlighten and force, make everyone like me. And uh, now I, I don't feel that anymore. I, I, I see that as such an essential part of the play and the dance of, of what we're doing. So when I see Rob, I get the same sort of charge as I can get talking to a very articulate, intelligent, passionate, Penn Jillette is a wonderful example, atheist. You just see someone being who they are died in the wool in their marrow mm -hmm. and they're not super interested in making you into a copy of them mm -hmm. and that just lights me up it makes me so excited well that, that coming from both sides i think that authenticity thing i mean is what i loved about crashing i mean okay oh. there's a few several things i loved about first season of crashing um one it was actually really funny oh thanks um, Sam. two um you you know, we're so open about your divorce and the pain and obviously and not it's a fictional adaptation of a autobiographical journey. Yeah, it was, but, but I, yeah, but a lot know, of it was and, <laughs> and I and I went through a divorce. Oh, did you really? Yeah. And so with that kind of going from the sheltered church world divorce and then yeah. what? Um, so I appreciated you ripping the scab off and poking at that pain that I went through and <laughs> yeah, thought it was yeah. healed. So that was great. Um, <laughs> Imagine doing it. <laughs> I'm saying it was, I can't, that's it what I want to get to in a minute. Oh, I mean, okay. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, third, you managed to get jars of clay on HBO, <laughs> which is just a win for the ages. I mean, See, that's just amazing. It's funny. The people that noticed the jars of clay thing, and, and this is a credit to Jed is there were only a couple things that he didn't understand. One was, why isn't the pastor wearing a collar um, in the final yeah. episode? Yeah, yeah. He said, Jed, very appropriately, he directed that episode and he was like, he looks like a doctor. He does, you know, if like you were drawing a New Yorker cartoon, yeah. you would put him in a priest's collar and yeah. a black shirt. And it just reads better visually. And literally, that was the only uh, disagreement sounds like we debated. We didn't debate. I just had to go like, um, I just think you have to trust me on this. They don't wear collars. <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, Hollywood, I mean, yeah, Hollywood depictions of church. They're you know, off. Always. Yeah, they're it's off. like literally nobody involved in this stepped foot in a church. Right. Um, That's exactly. I would say an exception would be Blackish. They've they've covered yeah. the ABC sitcom, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony Anderson. They've uh, shown different. They actually had a whole episode about they were visiting a kind of a hipster church mm. and then black gospel church and, and they actually got the nuances yeah. and the differences and it's stuff and i was exciting. like and it's so weird when you see it accurate on yeah you know i mean you guys got it accurate you don't have to turn the volume that up you know for it to be funny right almost everything in that episode for example 
um, the guy with the baby. So there's a couple, I forget yeah. their names, but there's a guy, they have a baby and it's supposed to just kind of pull at Pete's heart. He's seeing a Christian couple with a baby and he just got divorced and he's there with Artie Lang. And it's like, <laughs> how did everything go so wrong? And he's missing his home. And uh, he says, every Friday we watch a movie, we call it movie night. And that was literally something me and my family have laughed about because this guy, his name's Richard Rhodes. He was an associate. He is an associate pastor at my old church. And he went up on stage and said that so earnestly. We call, he, it, we call it movie night. We call it movie night. <laughs> and I bet if I talked to him, I don't think he would know why I think it's so funny. But he was like, every Friday, me and my family, we rent a movie. He sounded like Bush, I guess. W. Bush. We're like, we get around, we make some popcorn. We call it movie night. And I... I was the one in the family that found it hilarious. But then later I told my family and we still say we call it movie night. So to put it in the show, it's great. but to show that sort of guileless, it's, it, it's, it's polity. It's nice. He, he's a sweet person mm-hmm. saying we call it movie night. Comedians are the other side of it. Yeah. We go like, I'm sorry, you call it movie night. You think that's special? Like <laughs> we're in the back of the room going this an idiot. <laughs> But like to to re- just to take that snippet, yeah. not to be guessing. What do church people talk like? Some, yeah. some, not all, and to put it in their mouths. Um, and there was a lot of stuff that we cut from that too. Unfortunately, for time, I but. thought the I thought the the I don't know the the Pete character, the way you depicted him, kind of pre bubble bursting. Mm-hmm. Um, even when he's going through the pain and he's driving into the city, he's listening to Joel Osteen mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I still, I know Joel, uh, I don't know him. I call him Joel. Got in trouble. Like that was the wrong choice. Obviously yeah. I don't endorse that in any way, but he was the voice of the type of faith I had when my wife left me. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. No, it's, but <laughs> I, I apologize. When I'm interviewed, I really dive in. You know what I mean? I'm like, you hear how much I talk on my own podcast. I'm like this. I don't even have to try to get anything out of you. <laughs> yeah. Literally one of the guys I was talking to when I landed and was just kind of like talking about this. And I was like, I, I, on the plane was listening to one of your recent episodes again. And, um, and I was like, I think I'm just going to be able to like set the topic and yeah. he'll just go. Well, it's called a day off. <laughs> when I have people like me on my own podcast, which I do, Reza Aslan is a great example of that. You call it a day off, which is a term Conan used for Martin, uses for Martin Short when he's on the Conan show. Oh my gosh. He Martin just says Short like, how just, are you? And he just goes, it's the best. But I have to say, as Robin a podcast host, would have been like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. As a podcast host, when someone comes on, people think, oh, I'll talk about this all day. People think that I just can't help but interrupt or that I have to talk about myself. And it's not that it's all uh, strategic, but a lot of it is strategic because like Rivers Cuomo just did it. And his assistant was like, just so you know, Rivers is kind of thoughtful. He's not really going to want to banter with you. Um, not that he, because he's deliberate. You're, you're recording yeah. him. He doesn't want to up. He's a big star. And I was like, okay. So if you listen to that episode, I'm interrupting the out of him. Yeah. And it's to get him to talk. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, it works. Nobody, yeah. nobody, I don't look at my Twitter mentions anymore, well, but I, I bet if I did, people would be like, hey, Pete, shut the f- up, all this stuff. But no, they don't, okay. I, it's, I always want to say, you interview him. You interview him. I want to see what you get. Yeah. I want to see, I'm getting adamant about perceived <laughs> complaints. Perceived, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. even know if they're yeah, real, no, but like they when people say stuff like that, they don't understand that there's a certain atmosphere you create of urgency. Yeah. It's not competition. It's not machismo. You just go like, no, we're talking. I'm not going to take your stock answer. And when I do 5,000, this is like one of the first ones. 5,000 interviews about crashing, you better slap me off my axis. Otherwise, you're going to get the same interview yeah, as the last guy and the next person. What I like about what you do, Mark Marin does it and his, you guys are Exactly, I learned from Mark. Yeah. He, he, Mark opens up and sets a person at ease That's and right. then they open up. That's exactly and, right. But, and so it sounds like Mark wants to talk about himself, but he's not. He's, That's it. Do you think I want, I've, people are like, I've heard that story before. I'm like, I'm there when I tell it off, Mike. <laughs> It's a great Ramdas line. He says, how many times do you think I've heard it? Because he was going and doing these tours. It's like, I've heard it too. And believe me, I get it if sometimes you, you might listen. Again, this is all imagined. But like, and you're like, oh, Pete's going to tell this story. I love about imagined criticism. I know. But isn't that how we live a lot of our lives? Is we, We're in our heads showering, having an, uh, an argument. I try not to do this. Obviously, it's a goal is to like not do that. but Because your brain can't tell the difference. So it just yeah. creates stress hormones and stuff. It's bad for you. But sometimes I do go like, if 
I rue the day if somebody comes up to me and says, you talk too much on my po- on your podcast. I'll, I'll just be like, okay, everybody's to- now officially yes. warned. Do that. Yeah. I won't be mad at them. I'll just be like, you need to understand yeah. why. Because when you're sitting with someone and a publicist says they don't talk. Yeah. You go in with the cattle prod and, and Rivers was great. I, I, yeah. I didn't think he needed it, but I wanted to see, and you only have an hour. I wanted to see how deep we could go in an hour. Yeah. So I want to start, I want to talk about the guy in the first episode of the first season of crashing. Mm. Um, we're talking about the construction phase. Of oh, faith. can I tell you one thing? Yeah, please. Joel Osteen. This is the last thing I want yeah. to put a pin on that. I was listening to your best life now changed my life. It was kind of the first positive thinking. I don't know what you call it. Just like what's well, prosperity gospel, but I had never heard anything like it. Seriously. Yeah. See, I grew up in the prosperity. Oh, gospel. really? Like Tulsa faith really? healers, really? Uh, prosperity, name it and claim it stuff. Whoa. So, oh yeah, yeah. I went to Oral Roberts University. No way. I was just thinking about that today. Yeah. Was that because I saw a woman eating a banana <laughs> in her car? Didn't Oral Roberts say you couldn't eat a banana? Or that's the other one? No, no, that one. That's that one. Or Oral was the one who went up in a tower and said that the Lord he. He had to raise like eight million dollars, and the Lord wouldn't let him leave the tower or something back in the eighties or something. Wow. Like that. It was, yeah, did was, that work? I, I think so. Well, good because I went to the school ten years later, so it must have. I don't yeah, know. I mean, yeah. How nice was the school? The eight uh, million dollars school? Yeah, no. It's, but there's another cool. Christian college where they had pink sidewalks and blue sidewalks. I'm sure you've heard. Oh, uh, Bob Jones University, Bob Jones in so- South Carolina, and Bob Jones has an Damn. unwritten rule that women can't eat bananas without cutting. I them know. Up. I do know for a fact because I went to a fundamentalist Baptist high do school. You know, they must be. I know. Like they would come and recruit at our school. Like they that was, school would. Yeah, Bob Jones would they, come to Oral Roberts. No, no, would oh. come to my high school. Oh, uh, fundamentalist wow. Baptist, like hardcore fundamentals, and they would like you know try to get the students to go there, and and we would ask these questions. It was a legit thing. Every day at seven o'clock in the morning, you had to be out of bed with your bed made, and like start your day every day. There was a dating parlor where you could, the only room in the school where you could spend time with the opposite gender and they would have chaperones. If you went on a date off campus, you had to have a chaperone with you. You were not allowed to walk on the same sidewalk and hold hands. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, it's all real. It's, it's crazy. And it's still in existence, I guess. I don't know, but it's just, it it feels like the creation museum university. I know what I mean? I went to that. To the creation museum? Yes. I heard it open. Everybody's making fun of it. And me and my cynical friends went on a road trip to see it for ourselves. Hmm. And it's like a Genesis theme park. I mean, it's incredibly well Did done. Did you go to love it or, or to tease I it? went to have my own opinion of it. Yeah, good for you. And I didn't want to just take the cynical press. I get that. Right up on I, I actually deeply respect, this is hard to say because the Creation Museum really does seem destructive in it a lot of stands ways. for everything yeah. that i'm against no, but it. again i wanted to see it for myself so i'm going to take them off the table what okay. i want to talk about is mormons <laughs> mormons <laughs> they're fair game them and the amish <laughs> totally fine. well actually mormons and the amish kind of work for me and jews for jesus i have a soft spot in my heart for anybody who forfeits everything mm. for some weird weird meaning i guess that means non-regular christian sure that's kind of my bias I just mean if you get disowned by your family because you become a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or is less common Amish um, or a Jew for Jesus, certainly a persecuted group. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, I think you get it. I mm. think I don't think they get everything. Sure. I don't think I don't know if anybody gets everything. Sure. But I think they understand something. I was just thinking about this: like any good superhero has to give up his family. Have you noticed, like? Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man. He has to keep his identity secret. Otherwise, they're going to kill Aunt May and they're going to kill Mary Jane. But ultimately, for Spider-Man to become who Spider-Man needs to become, he kind of needs to make a choice to save the falling school bus over Aunt May. In the movie, he gets both. He saves both. But that is the call that Jesus makes, too. Jesus is actually pretty staunchly anti-family. I'm not saying he doesn't like family. But he is, he, in my reading, he seems to be making the point that you need to pick the bus over Aunt May. Huh. Like you need to like, you're going to be found out and your villain, meaning your fears and your, you know, terror, is going to come and threaten your family. And you need to be able to go, okay. And that's what I see when I see a Jewish person leaving an Orthodox yeah. Jewish family to go to Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's like a Red Sox fan becoming the manager of the Yankees. It's not, <laughs> right. not just a fan, like right, right. an owner of the Yankees. It's like such a huge thing. And I just kind of, 
quietly, which is why I like movies like that Ben Stein movie about creationism. Um, I like that stuff. Mm. It's kind of like in the matrix where Morpheus is like, it's our, it's our, uh, what's he say? It's our propensity for disobedience that brought us all here. Mm-hmm. Cause they're trying to get everyone to come back to Zion. And he's like, let's not go to Zion. And I think we're not going to, because everyone here disobeys. So anybody that's kind of like interested in the spirit and interested in that overall else needs to realize that at some point they might be called to do something like that. And they might already do it. They might be ready to do it. And mm. I think we might be called to do it. I don't, this sounds like I'm getting people ready to like, you know, murder suicide ourselves or something. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying there's something admirable just about yeah. even the guy who opens the creation museum, even though I think it's harmful, a- acrid and, and disgusting and backwards, there's something in there that I go, Maybe in a past life you were like some weird martyr for for Hinduism or something. I don't know. Honestly, I went because I wanted to. Um, I, I just I, I wanted to understand how you could what a museum about young Earth creationism would say or do. Like what would they? What are they showing? And when I went there, um, it, it opened recently. When I went there, it was years ago, mm. and there was you know homeschool groups and and that's who was there. I'm just turn the light yeah. Oh, okay. Keep going. And uh, it was like. It, it, it was mis it was mistitled. I think at the end of it, it was well done. <laughs> they, they they spent a ton of money. It was ride designers from Universal Studios. No way. It. Oh yeah, it's quality, but it wasn't a museum. It wasn't. There was no science or explanation. It was literally just. It should have just been called the Genesis Experience or something like that. Right. And as you see Noah's Ark, and you see these. Well, things. museum is an affront to yeah. science. It's like saying we're a museum. Right. And you're like, it, it, come on. Yeah, it was rough. Okay. The guy who, in the first episode yeah, of Crashing, sorry about that. the construction I didn't phase. even tell you what I meant. Oh, stupid. After my wife left me, I tried to listen to Your Best Life Now again, and it might as well have been in Aramaic. Like, I couldn't hear it. Oh, yeah, because I said... Because yeah. I experienced pain for the first time in my life, for the most part. I experienced pain, and I put on this guy going... Just go out there and be good. Do you know? And God will give you what you want. And I'm like, buddy, I did everything I was supposed to. And I was laying on my bed. I've told the story before, but trying to wake up because I thought I had died. And I thought I was in some sort of purgatory, which I didn't even believe in purgatory. But I was like, I don't feel alive anymore, but I somehow haven't crossed over. I felt like some sort of weird spirit in the in-between because I didn't know my wife was cheating on me, but she was so distant. And she was everything to me as a young man. And I was just kind of like, what the f*** is going on? So I put on Joel Osteen, which used to make me feel so happy. And then this became my obsession with a theology and a worldview that includes suffering. Because I can't have a guy that just goes, just eat, eat, the, eat the buffet. It's included with the cruise. This is how screwed <laughs> up our podcast is when that book came out. Uh, I was in Target and there was a Your Best Life Now, the game, no. board game. So I bought it and yes. we played it in its entirety on our podcast for an hour. We oh. lived, we did an hour, we did a show and we said, okay, now the show is over. Hit stop because now we're going to just play Your Best Life Now, the game. There were literally, you know, like chance cards and stuff, Monopoly. There are literally spots where you have to pick up a little mirror and look at it and say something affirming to yourself. Wow. I mean, it was just, it's the craziest thing i want to meet the ghostwriter that made the game you know because you know joel didn't make the game right 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 but he signed the rights to the game right to some guy who had to read the book and then go there's got to be a board game here all right you have to say something nice to yourself i have we have in our podcast studio still to this day so the mirror uh no the entire game i would play the game there was like a there was a the secret board game too i think i never played every you know it kind of reminds me of how there's books about doing stand-up and i've read a lot of them but there's this Kind of like, kind of like supporting a podcast, like what we're saying at the beginning, where you want to do stand up or you want to have the type of life that Joel is talking about. And unfortunately, we kind of learned that buying something is doing something. Mm. You know, it, yeah. it's like casting a vote towards that type of life. So playing the board game or playing the secret board game, which is like the new age equivalent of that, might not be called the secret board game, but whatever. Uh, we think and buying a book about stand-up makes you one step closer to doing stand-up when open mics are free. But it feels good to buy a book. It just does. <laughs> just go there and do it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, hey, you've been trying to ask this question, and I apologize. Tell but, me about the guy in the first episode. Tell me about Pete growing up. 
you tell yes. me about your journey growing up like where 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 where's home well i'm from uh lexington massachusetts okay birthplace of the american revolution you're welcome that's right <laughs> i knew that we lost did you know that well, I mean, we lost that, the once you said it. I yes, mean, of course. Yeah. Well, I say that because, uh, you know, I look like I'm from Kentucky, so I have to say uh, Massachusetts. You actually really do look like you're from Kentucky. I'm a corn fan, yeah. Especially you're much taller my... than I realized. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, it's off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, we were watching an edit today, and I was standing next to one of our writers, Greg Fitzsimmons, who's on the show, on one of the episodes, and it's a two-shot of me and him, and I'm like nine feet taller than him. And he's like an average-sized guy, and I'm like... Good Lord, I'm so tall. And uh, we, and Pendulette told me that Lauren Michaels, Pendulette's also very tall. Yeah, yeah. That Lauren Michaels told him that tall people aren't funny. And it still hurt my feelings. <laughs> he didn't say it to me. He, <laughs> I, he probably has no idea who I am, but I'm just like, hey. Anyway, very tall. Uh, so you grew up in Massachusetts. Lexington, Massachusetts. Okay, which surprises me that you grew up so Christian because that's a very unchurched area. Well, it's it? a very liberal. Yeah. Well, it's it's you know, Massachusetts, which is kind of everything. Um, Lexington is very uh, hoity-toity, um, very ex- expensive, I guess. My dad really is the American dream when his father died when he was... I joke that the age that my father was when his father died was always my age. <laughs> it was when I was 12, he was 12. 13, I was 13, whatever it was. So I, it was between 12 and 16. And uh, he took over the oil, home heating oil business he drove a bread truck. He really was that guy that for some reason he had the, I don't know, the enzyme or the gene that was just like, I don't know, why do some crabs like leave the ocean and build a little nest? I don't even know if <laughs> crabs do that. But whatever that <laughs> hypothetical thing is, my dad had that. And he was like, I'm not going to raise my family in South Boston. I'm not going to raise them in Somerville. I'm getting us out of here. Met my wife. I met my wife. That was Freudian. Met my mother. That was very Freudian. Deal with it. Well, I was kind of putting myself in my father's sure, sure, shoes. Sure, sure, sure. I will fess up to Freud. If you've listened to my podcast, yeah. I think it's one of the most under-discussed aspects and just so in plain sight. I just got married. We didn't do any of that shit. Thank you. I appreciate it. Weren't you just, you just got back from your honeymoon? Yeah, like two days ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. That's awesome. Thank you. But um, no mother-son dance, no daddy-daughter dance. Oh, I didn't that. do a mother-son dance at my because wedding. Because it's gross. It's weird. I get it. I, she and tapped s- out and I tapped out too. I was like, I, it's, it's cool. Good Let's high five. We don't need to do this. And you know, I love my mom very, very much. But we, we have issues with boundaries. And um, she, she thinks I'm making a lot of it up. But I think I'm smarter than she is. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, so anyway, it wasn't... Freudian stuff. Oh, right. My dad meets my mom. She also had whatever that crab gene okay. is. So they both, she was from Southie and my dad's from Somerville and they wanted better. So my dad worked his ass off from the time he was 16 until blah, blah, blah. Got into real estate, bought a nice house in Lexington, Massachusetts, which was like the movie, The Fighter. Did you see mm-hmm. The Fighter? Mm-hmm. They go see a movie in Lexington. That mm-hmm. was actually the movie theater I worked at called The Flick. But in the movie, it was kind of like, she even says like, you took me to la-di-da lexington that's what it was and that's why my dad picked it Hmm. he was just kind of like the last place a guy like me Mm. no dad lost his mom young too um hard working no collar come home covered in oil every day the last place people expect me to live is lexington so he found a house in lexington used all his contracting buddies and stuff and and renovated it bought a fixer-upper basically i didn't know our whole lives he was struggling to pay for it um, I knew there was a lot of tension in the house. <laughs> I couldn't figure out why. Right, sure. But later in life, I found out that like there was a lot more tension than I knew, and they shielded us from it a good amount. Not 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 completely, but a good amount. So, uh, do you want the spiritual story? Yeah, or yeah, you, yeah um, church life. Yeah, because you know there's different ways of telling the story. I just remember believing what grownups told me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was also, I'd like to think I still am, but certainly when I was young, just a very sweet kid. Yeah. Um, you just meet kids like that where you're just like, they just, please and thank you just feels right in, on these kids. And and they like sharing and they have empathy. And I, I used to cry when I would see a squirrel get hit by a car. Like I just really had what I would consider now a very open heart. I don't mm-hmm. know if I use that terminology then, but I was like, 
like an exposed nerve and I felt other people's pain. I have, I have very vivid memories of seeing, of making eye contact with homeless people around Christmas. And you know, I'm actually thinking about it now and this guy asking for a penny. And it, I was just devastated by a grown man saying, I'm not even worth a penny. Mm. Uh, and it would actually, you know, like with kids all the time, I would see um, a cartoon dog that was like, donate money to the animal cruelty thing. It was a cartoon. And I would I'd tell my dad I wanted money for something else. And I'd go and I'd put it in the cartoon dog because it had a slot on it. Just like a lot of, I wouldn't call it compassion because it wasn't that sophisticated, but a lot of vulnerability. And, um, and also just a lot of naturally occurring what is fire? Like, I remember being very interested in being like, what is fire? And someone would be like, well, it's the relationship of this and this and oxygen. And I'd be like, no, what is fire? Now, you know what I mean? Like, you know, those two things are still defining your life. Oh, totally. <laughs> I was like, I mean, like, my word, I'm clearly, you know, this. I mean, this is, that's insane. Relieving suffering is a huge thing for yeah. me. And then, um, also, uh, figuring out what is fire. Yeah. I, what I really meant was why is fire? I suppose. Yeah. Um, because they're right. That is what it is. And we can do that with most things. Uh, but what it, it's in the Upanishads. I love this quote. It goes, not, not that which the mind can think, but whereby the mind can think. Not mm. what the mind can think, but that whereby the mind can think. Mm-hmm. Not that what the eye can see, but that whereby the eye can see. Uh, mm-hmm. Focus on that. What does it say? It's, it, that's the eternal, not what men here adore. And I was like, that's the right there. Mm. And that's what I, I didn't, I obviously didn't know that. But I mean, looking back, I remember very young, having a lot of magical thoughts, having a lot of obsession with dreams. I was a very good dreamer. Mm. And I was a very bored kid. I'm very grateful for that. I would go to bed well before I was tired. And I spent, uh, because there was just nothing to do. <laughs> Dad was watching TV. There, I was saying this, no TV. Right? This wasn't like a multi-TV house. My sure, dad sure, sure. is watching whatever. And there's, you know, there was this balcony in my in, indoor balcony and the sound would bleed up. So it was like you go in your room and close the door and just go to bed. Like just, I, I, I no, didn't. No creative, no reading, no drawing, no, no building like, Legos. No. no. Later came video games and that was sure. very, very wonderful almost meditative. I'm surprised, knowing how release. creative you are and how much wonder you have, I'm surprised you I played were. with action figures. Okay. You're helping me remember. I, I did that a lot. And okay. I played with action figures until I was 18. And even then it was only, I only stopped because people would make fun of me. <laughs> I would forget, I would forget to clean them up. So they'd be all over my bed. And As my, an 18 year old? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then that, my that, friends okay. would come over. Yeah. I know. I, I, I suppose so. I don't know what I would say to my son now. I, if he were doing that, I think I would be like, it's totally fine. But the truth is, if you play Grand Theft Auto and you ever just like run from the police, don't play the missions, you just run from the police or just go around and explore, you're playing with action figures. That's yeah. all you're doing. Yeah. It's socially acceptable action figures. Yeah. And there are men in their 50s, yeah. not only playing these games, but making these games. Right. So it's, it's uh, now I get defensive about that. That's what I would say to my son now. I'd be like, it's all just imagination. Time. Right. Because when I play Grand Theft Auto, I don't just go... Um, I'm running from the cops. I create a little story and I don't do it because I'm trying to exercise my creativity. I do it because it makes more fun. Mm -hmm. When I go on a walk and when I used to walk home from school, you're helping me remember, I used to pretend it was a simulation Hmm. or I used to wonder what it would be like if there was a computer that could simulate a walk home Hmm. or how I knew it was real. Philosophy and all that stuff you think would have been like a natural fit for me, but it was so boring because nobody that I knew, it was just, I wasn't exposed to anybody that was like deeply passionate about the basics. Hmm. Like, how are you hearing me? Like, just like the fact that the present moment is the only thing that's real, that it's eternal. When, you know, this is a Rob Bell thing, but like when Jesus is talking about eternal life, to me, it has so much more to do with this. Like when you're really locked into the moment, Mm -hmm. you are in eternity. Mm -hmm. We're not measuring sunrises and sunsets because of a, a rock orbiting another rock you know i know our bodies are decaying and there's certain ways that we can perceive time that aren't suns and sunsets but uh whatever so i I never ran into anybody that really got into that and i kind of thought i was 
sort of alone. Like I didn't really have friends that wanted to get super deep. So when I got into the church and my parents just took us to church, uh, my mother got into the vineyard. Do you know the vineyard? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the vineyard. Wilbur, Bob Wilbur. Well, it was Don. outside of Boston. Or the one well, there's a bunch Boston. of vineyards. It's started sure. here in Southern California. I, I I think I knew that, and she found one, and she really very worship yes. focused, and yeah. which I completely get. Yeah, yeah. To this day, my parents, I think a lot of their spirituality, it's hard to speak for them, but I think it has a lot to do with music. Yeah, I know my father cries at hymns, and and my dad doesn't cry like he. I don't say that like he's cool. I actually think he could work on that. <laughs> but, but, you know, I do see him crying at the hallelujah chorus. Or yeah. something. There's something that transcends the intellect. And yeah. That's very powerful. So the vineyard and the singing and the personal relationship. Yeah. My mother really wanted a buddy, buddy Jesus. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And I, I still, you know, I enjoy it in a different way, but I, I meaning I don't, ask for help as much as I ask for clarity. Yeah. That's different. Anyway, so she really wanted somebody with her, a Jiminy Cricket style following around. And then that's the Jesus that I was introduced to. And as a very... Like youth group age or child? Young, a little bit younger. Okay. uh, Certainly junior high, but I got really into it in high school. Okay. And... At the Vineyard Church? No, we started going to Grace Chapel in Lexington, which is similar. It's a non-denominational evangelical you know, it's non-denominational, but it, it's evangelical. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, church, uh, very casual, more like a convention center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simple wooden cross, no Jesus on it. You know, Protestant and uh, modern music. There's an organ, but there'd also be drums and stuff. And I just um, big church. I would consider it big. And, and you were in the youth group there. I got into the youth group there. Yeah, I, I played bass and the worship team in high school i started leading uh i took i actually got kicked out of mustard seeds because i was a rap scallion and then later i took over mustard seeds when i got a little bit more serious and led it so i went from the guy that was booted out of it for being a disruption um to the person who led it the next year and it's something just shifted i started going to a, a black church i don't know if that's okay to say <laughs> a church that everybody there was african-american it was a black church um, in Mattapan, every one one Sunday a month. We Why? Were, because there was an exchange. It was our sister church uh, in Mattapan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys like intentionally would do like a yeah would swap. swap. I don't know if they came to our church, but we would go to their church. And I, I don't mean like a, it wasn't a takeover. Yeah, it yeah, was like ten people. Yeah. And I started to see. Uh, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of black churches have more passion. Yeah. So I saw a lot of people that really were singing it like they meant it and and were you know talking back to the pastor and the pastor's sweating and and raising his voice and you're just like oh, holy sh-. were you drawn to that yes yeah, yeah. i remember i was anointed he asked who here has um a call to the ministry and me and a couple of my friends raised our hands and he anointed us with oil yeah and it was a big deal. Yeah. I've done spiritual things since then, like Amma, the, the hugging saint. I've got a hug from Amma. And I remember that feeling being similar to the feeling I had when I was blessed or whatever you want to call it in, in that church. So it, it happened. Yeah. I, I do remember having a certain degree of disappointment, spiritual materialism, where you're kind of like wishing you had a vision or something. Like, sure, sure, sure. But I've kind of laid down. That's this. a tough thing with a lot of, I grew up in charismatic church and, and Pentecostal yeah. and all that. And, and, that there's so much emphasis on the experience and the tangible experience of the Holy Spirit and yeah. feeling and, and all that. And that I remember in youth group, you know, uh, kids, you know, getting baptized the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm standing there too. And I didn't. And, then you're, our... and you kind of fake it because you don't want to be the one who didn't. And wait, are they faking it? I don't know. And they all just kind of, and it turns out they are and they aren't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's my opinion of, yeah. Tongues now. I don't know if you know Terrence McKenna. I know Terrence, the name. Terrence McKenna is a big psychonaut. Like he he introduced a lot of people to DMT and mushrooms and acid and all that stuff. Very interesting thinker, apart from his ties to the drug community. But that was a big thing. And he would uh, speak in tongues while he was under the influence of these things. And he would just kind of do it. He'd just be like, but he'd do it and he'd be like, where is this coming from? Just kind of like enjoying the phenomena of it, as opposed to what I think you and I did. I remember praying almost, no, to the point of tears, 
wanting to pray in tongues, but I wouldn't fake it. Yeah. So it didn't come. So when I was standing there in a line where the preacher would come and like lay his hands on you, everybody's falling down. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to let this dude push me down. Yeah. If the Lord knocks me down, the Lord knocks me down. And I almost like lean into it, you know, yeah. like forward as opposed yeah. to allowing myself to just be well, swept this, up because I want the, I want the real thing. Is it real or, or nothing at all? Yeah. Is Jesus walking on glass or is it water? Right. Like we want to know right. the real thing. Is it real or not? And that's beautiful. Right. That, I mean, that. Well, that's the, what is fire? That, like, yeah. I, like, I, yeah. Is, are we doing this or are we doing this? Right. And I, and, and that came later, but it was, it was sort of like a, do we believe this or do we believe this? And I think a lot of people, at a, I can't speak for a lot of people. It seems to me that a lot of people leave it at a certain point. For example, when I talk to my parents about faith now, um, I remember my dad was like, you're better with it than without it. And he's, what his, his perception, and when Reza Aslan did my podcast, he talks about how religion primarily throughout history has been a cultural identifying thing. Mm. I'm a Christian from Boston. Right. I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm a male Christian from Boston. I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm a straight male right. Christian from Boston, and I'm a Red Sox fan. And and we need identity, and it and it feels good, and it helps us. The world is so frightening, especially when you get down to the base of it. We're all just naked and outside. Like I like to right. think that the planet's outside. Like we think we're in a house right now, but the whole things outside right and that's overwhelming and then you go no it's not overwhelming i'm a i'm a straight man from boston and i'm a christian and i'm a red sox fan and suddenly we're a little bit less outside so i completely get it and i'm not i, I don't need my dad to change but i think people like us at a certain point were like i'm not going to pretend speak in tongues and again i think the people that are quote unquote pretending don't think they're pretending but i also don't think they're leaning in to not be pushed over either. Mm. It's kind of this middle ground that I don't have any judgment for. Uh, because when Terrence started, McKenna would speak in tongues. I was like, oh, that's it. I'm not doing it. I can't really do it. He can do it. He just does it. I don't need to do it. I think if I practiced, you could get to that you, point. You where could you're, say, uh, here she comes on a Honda. Yeah. Uh, uh, see my bow tie, tie my bow tie. Yeah. That's a good one to go to as well. Should yeah. have bought a Honda, not a Yamaha. There you go. Should yeah. have bought a Yamaha. Yeah, no, yeah. uh, but I was fascinated with that stuff too. I mean, I think it's Murat. Um, Ramana Maharishi, who calls it, nope, it's uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, who calls it spiritual materialism, wanting these things, because as they say on Mad Men, it's this year's candy pink stove. It's just the new thing to have. It's just the status thing. It's the same game we're playing when you buy a Honda, not a Yamaha. Um, And and that's nonsense. the, The equanimity I have now comes in a certain surrender where you're like, it's not about that. A lot, a big spiritual mantra for me is, and then what? It's like, what if you did have a vision when that guy put his hand on you? Mm -hmm. And then what? Mm -hmm. Like, I've had incredible dreams, very vivid, very vivid dreams. I'm not saying I predicted the future or anything super cool like that. Or I've meditated to the point of really feeling extreme presence, like the, Mm -hmm. the type of stuff that you'd normally have to take a drug to get to. And I'm just like, I'm here, I got here. And then what? It's gone. It's what Ramdas is. It's a moldering butterfly. It's just paper on fire. It's just gone. Mm. This is all that's here. And am I loving you or am I being compassionate to the guy who wants a penny on Christmas or am I not? Mm. And like, what is this hoarding? It's just another Western misappropriation of the message of living spirit, which is how much of this can I collect bronze and display when it has nothing to do with any of that? Mm. You can be far holier and have nothing to show for it than the guy that's you know toothy and grinny and with the best-selling but I'm, I'm not putting down joel Osteen. i'm just saying it's not about that oh, i didn't know who you're referring to uh, uh so why christian college well fear it was mostly fear it was kind of a cowardice move um see i went because i got a scholarship and ah! honestly it was like i was so i i my parents were you know gonna pay for college wherever i want to go and if I went to this school, I actually got an academic scholarship and I wouldn't need their help. And so out of like spite oh, and independence, I for you. And I ended up at Oral Roberts University. You, but so it's kind of like a two for it's like they didn't have to pay for it. And you went where they probably wanted you to where go. Where they anyway. probably wanted me to go, which was why I didn't want to go there. But then it was free. And then I went, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. And it actually ended up being a great experience for me. I don't regret going to Gordon yeah. at all. Yeah. I, I think it's not well, who cares? 
And then what, right? Yeah. I, I look back and I'm like, it wasn't exactly the most challenging school for me. Yeah. I have no memory of studying. I have no memory of ever having academic anxiety. But as a result of that, I had a lot of free time and a lot of time to think about what is fire. <laughs> yeah. A lot of time to kind of like create. That's when I really started doing improv. And that's where I started doing stand-up. And that's where I started writing humorous essays for the paper, which later became stuff I would use for stand-up. And that was essential. And if I had gone to a school, uh, like I always say, like I, I'm not anti-pot but uh, at all. I mean, I have a, a lot of it in, inside if you'd like some. <laughs> but it's like, I'm afraid, and this is what I would tell my son if I had a son. I'm just afraid that if I had smoked it when I was 18, I don't know if I'd be a comedian right now. I don't know if I, I can't say that mm. for certainty. I can't, with alcohol too, alcohol gets off easy. And I feel weird saying this because we grew up in traditions that probably hate alcohol. But the older I get, the more I'm like, no, that that's a that's a drug too. Yeah, it is. And and it really kind of kept me back in a lot of ways that no one explained to me. At least with pot and heroin or cocaine, people are like, look out. With alcohol, they're just like, oh, go ahead. Like everybody does it. Your dad does it. This guy does it. Everybody, fine. It's cool. Uh, I'm so glad I went to a school where I didn't drink. I didn't start drinking until I was 21. 26. Ah. And I'm grateful. I didn't smoke pot until I was 28 when my wife left me. My brother came over and smoked me up. And I remember not the day I smoked, but shortly after that going, if I had found this earlier, mm. I don't know if I would have been anxious or bored enough to create the launch pad that I took off from. Uh, and that's concerning to me. So I'm very grateful for Gordon for being a boring, safe place, just like kind of like a still pond to put my fish in and I just kind of grew. I, I, I felt safe to grow and evolve. I think every Christian college has the uh, comedy troupe that you were part of, yeah. you know, that had those comedy nights and stuff. And it yeah. was like such a release. I, I remember you, you said something like, um, it was like all the pent up angst of the 19 year olds who think they're going to hell because they masturbated earlier that day. That's it. And then that, those little comedy who shows needs a laugh were the more. release. Yeah. 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 It was super fun. Yeah. I really liked it. Was it a residential campus? Like everybody lived there and mm -hmm. everything. For the most part. Yeah. Us too. You it was like, so you, it's this little bubble. 1600 kids, I think. We so we had about 4,000. Okay. But still, I mean, it's a bubble with 4,000 yeah. kids who are in the same a bubble place. Is a bubble. A bubble is a bubble. Yeah, but it did keep me sheltered. And I, I went in to become a youth pastor because going back to what we were saying, are we getting pushed over or are we not getting pushed over? And I said, if we believe that you either have Jesus and are saved or don't and you're going to hell, I never bought God needs doctors too. I was like, what the f is the point yeah. of taking care of our bodies Almost like a Christian scientist or something like, or just like a, any kind of crazed or fervent, let's say fervent, less judgmental fundamentalist. I was like, okay, is this true or not? Why aren't you doing an altar call every service? And there are a lot of churches like this. Mine does. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Good on them because yeah. at, least at least you're following right. through right. on what the you told me is going on. Right. Here. Val's uh, father is a pastor. They do an altar call every time. Yeah. And if you were, I don't know, I have any altar call I went up anytime. It was like, do you want to reaffirm <laughs> oh, man, I got saved your salvation times every year? Because I didn't, I was yeah. so concerned it didn't stick. Yeah. And, right. The, and the, why the didn't stick you, thing. Yeah. All you have to do is walk up with your eyes closed. It's fine. <laughs> and, and you just got, kind of like, to, it's like wearing two condoms. It's like, just do it. Like be extra safe. Um, <laughs> but uh, so it, it started from, it was also a mom and me had religion. And dad and my brother had sports. Oh, okay. And they're similar hobbies. Sure. You know, stats. You know, when the, the Bible would come up on Jeopardy, me and my mom would like crush it. lean in yeah. Yeah, and crush it. And it was great. And I thought that was so cool. And it was something I'm very, I, I teased my mother earlier, but we've always had a very special relationship, um, very close, just kind of cosmically close. I think she's nuts. I'd say that if she was here. Be like, mom, you nuts. Um, she probably thinks you're nuts. She now. thinks I'm nuts too, which is great. Who cares? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, we can be honest and tease each other yeah. in that way. But um, you know, now I feel bad for calling her nuts. But anyway, we had religion. Gordon College had a choir that came and sang at Grace Chapel once a year, and I remember my mom 
thinking that was beautiful. And maybe one Sunday, she just was like, maybe you'll go to Gordon. I bet that happened. Yeah. And it just planted my subconscious. And my family didn't put much of, of priority on higher education or even going. I think my mom told me that I wasn't going to go. I didn't feel the need to go. And that, was, that would have been okay. And then one day, my friend John Arelli, who's now a pastor, was like, I'm going to go tour schools. And we went to Eastern, and we went to Houghton, and we went to Taylor, and we went to Gordon. And I was like... Taylor, in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. That's right. I've been there. We, there was a guy named Muntz, who there was biscuits and gravy in the cafeteria. <laughs> and remember, there's a statue of these two black men, I think. It might even be slaves being freed or something. It's weird. And we're like, why is the only black people here bronzed? <laughs> like, it was a really weird feeling. Because we were from Boston, so yeah. there was diversity. So we are like, not comfortable yeah. in the uh, middle of nowhere, Indiana. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to clarify that. There's parts of Indiana that are met- metropolises is all I point. So anyway, I decided to go to Gordon. And I'm like, are we doing this or are we doing this? Right. And if what you're telling me is you need Jesus or you burn forever, all these questions that would be solved by Rob's book, right. Love Wins, right. at which I, I'm rereading because it's a huge part of the book that I'm writing. And it's still just, I get excited. Like it's like drinking a cup of coffee or something. It, it, it energizes and stimulates me to no end because it asks all these questions that no one seemed to be asking. And I actually think that's my favorite part of the book. It's just the first chapter, the intro in the first chapter where he's just saying, so if this is true, then what about this? And I'm just like, ah, I loved it. Yeah. It's like what I was saying about Alan Watts is these like kind of iconoclastic people. So that didn't last. My freshman year, I made friends that were girls and was more interested in that and, and just became far more interested in comedy than I was in the church. <laughs> that was comedian Pete Holmes. Make sure to tune in to part two of the conversation. You won't want to miss what he would tell his younger self. And make sure to check out his semi-autobiographical HBO series, Crashing. Though I have to warn you, it's an HBO show for a reason. Uh, Hey, if you like this episode of Unedited, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have an incredible lineup of guests coming up this season and you won't want to miss an episode. Also, I'd love your help spreading word about the show. Uh, Rating and reviewing it on iTunes especially helps a ton, as well as sharing it on social media. Thanks in advance. Well, I'm Cameron Strang. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Relevant Podcast Network.